Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on You Need Therapy. The opposite of home isn't distance, but it's forgetfulness. And I believe that self-care is this really regular practice of nurturing and kind of cultivating the truest version of ourselves. I started to realize that not being an expert isn't a liability, it's a real gift. If we don't know something about ourselves at this point in our life, it's probably because it's uncomfortable to know. If you can die before you die, then you can really live. There's a wisdom at death's door. I thought I was insane. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. I don't know, man. I'm like, I feel like everything is hard. Hey, y'all. My name is Kat. I'm a human first and a licensed therapist second. And right now, I'm inviting you into conversations that I hope encourage you to become more curious and less judgmental about yourself, others, and the world around you. Welcome to You Need Therapy. Welcome, guys, to a new episode of You Need Therapy podcast. I am so excited to get this episode started because I have a couple things I want to let you guys know about slash remind you about um, that are happening in Nashville, in the area around Nashville that you guys can actually get involved in. So before I do that, quick reminder that although... I'm a therapist and this week's guest is actually a therapist as well. This podcast does not serve as a replacement or substitute for mental health services. Now, let's get into these cool announcements. The first one, some of you probably already have heard about this. Some of you actually might already have tickets to this event, but Amy Brown is hosting the second Four Things with Amy Brown live podcast event this March, March 25th in Nashville. And for those of you who don't know what Four Things is or who Amy is, Four Things is a podcast that Amy Brown actually hosts. And I host that with her on Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, we do the fifth thing together. It's a really fun podcast. We talk about all kinds of things, but she is going to be doing her second live event. We did the first one in November in Wichita, and this is going to be the second one that I actually am going to be a part of. So you can come see Amy. 
find me. You can come see fellow listeners and you can come see me as well. And the first show actually sold out really fast. So they they added a second show, a 3 p.m. matinee show. So if you want to come to that event, please, please, please do not hesitate to go buy tickets because I have a feeling these are going to sell out fast as well. Also, it is at the Franklin Theater, which I grew up in, in, not in downtown Franklin, but I grew up in Franklin. And Main Street, where the Franklin Theater is, is like the cutest place ever. It has so many shops, so many restaurants, just the buildings are pretty. So if you want to come to the 3 p.m. show, it's perfect because you can go have a nice day, kind of beep bop through the shops, then go to the event at three and then have dinner on the square somewhere afterwards. It just you know, an ideal Saturday is what I would call that. So just so you know, that is happening. I will put the link for you guys to buy tickets in there. And hopefully um, I get to meet some of you guys there. So if you buy tickets, let me know you're coming. I'm so excited. Okay. Now the second thing I want to tell you about. So Tara Booker is a therapist that has been a guest on the show multiple times. I can't even count. She's the one that I do the difference between series with that we started last year, last fall, kind of, I think fall, winter. And she is a therapist that I really look up to. She's amazing. I worked with her when we worked at a treatment center back in the day. And she is leading an experiential trauma group that starts on February 15th that I just want people to know about in case that's something that you are looking for or need or you know somebody who's looking for something like this. It is in Nashville, so you have to be in the Nashville area to attend it. But it is going to be an immersive, interactive, hands-on experience of group therapy. And the goal is to help people work through some of the stuff that might be still lingering, whether that's hurt or just feelings that you don't even know how to identify. And it's going to help you identify some of that stuff and then look at how those things actually are impacting your life and then hopefully help you release some of that and move through some of that pain and all those feelings. So you're going to have a very, very, very experienced, licensed trauma expert and therapist. You're going to have a group of, of peers around you that let me tell you, group therapy is a whole nother ball game. It is so cool. The power of group really, really helps in transformation so much. So if you are looking for something like that, highly recommend it. I'm going to post the link for that group as well in the show notes. So if you need any information, go to that link. Don't go to me because I'm not running this group. Tara is. But just so you know, it's going to be starting on February 15th. It's on Wednesday. It's going to be every Wednesday from 5 to 6.30 p.m. And it's going to run for 12 weeks. So go click that link to learn more about that. I highly recommend doing anything with Tara. So go forth with that information. And my third little announcement is extra, extra exciting because it involves my guest for this week. And I'm about to be joined by a returning guest and another fellow therapist, Katie Gustafson. And if you remember, she was the one that came on and first talked about the Enneagram with us. I think the episode, the first time we aired it was called the one about the Enneagram. And she is back to talk to us about the Enneagram and how it can have a positive influence on identifying the self-care practices that are right for each of us individually. 
And self-care doesn't have to be just getting a massage or going for a walk. Me and Tara actually talked about self-care last year in one of our episodes. And what Katie does in this episode, which is so powerful, I I can't even tell you how many light bulbs and how many things I continue to think about after our conversation. But what Katie teaches us in this episode is that self-care is less about escaping and indulging and more about restoring us back to who we truly are. And Again, you will hear me having these light bulb moments. I ramble about things and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's making me think of this and this. She's just so knowledgeable about the Enneagram. She's so knowledgeable about self-care and what it really is and what it's really intended for. And I just am excited for you to start to have some of those light bulb moments as well as you listen to the episode. I'm so grateful for people like Katie who have the ability and have the mind and the heart to do what she does. She does it so well. And My extra special announcement is that she actually is hosting a self-care workshop and it is led by her and two other humans that I very much adore. One doesn't know that I've ever met her, but I have in a yoga class and it's Allie Fallon who has been on the podcast before and she has written the book, The Power of Writing It Down, which I know a lot of you listeners have actually got and worked through and it's really helped. And then also is hosted by an expert in the yoga world and the movement and body world. Her name is Kula. So it's a really cool event that's going to have really three really cool people there helping you to identify what self practices would help you kind of restore yourself back to who you truly are too. So all that information is going to be in the notes as well. I've linked the Instagrams for Ali Kula and Katie, so you can get to know them if this is something that you want to do. This workshop is on February 25th. So if you want to go to this, I would highly recommend getting on it and sign up for that now. That is a very limited workshop. There's not a ton of spots. But listen to this episode, get to know Katie more. She gives you like a teaser of what this workshop is really going to do. So kind of get your your mind going. It's going to give you a thirst for more. And if you want to go to the workshop, I highly recommend it. I wish I could go. Hopefully she does another one so I can go to it and follow her on Instagram. She posts a lot of really, really helpful, inspiring content on there. And you know, I'm picky about my Instagram follows. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope that you can make it to one of these experiences that are available to people right now. And I hope you have the day you need to have. Here is my conversation with Katie. I have a returning guest. I feel like you've been on here like four times because I've re-released your episode more than one time because it was so good. (laughs) Welcome back. Thanks. And today we're going to be talking about two things, but we're going to bring them together and you'll hear why we're doing that as we go. But Katie is somebody, and I want to make sure you feel comfortable with me saying this. I would say you're an expert in the Enneagram. I would tread lightly with that word. (laughs) It's like, I feel like the more I know, the less I know. And I just honor the system so much that maybe in comparison to you know, just the next guy walking down the street, I'm an expert, but I don't know. That word scares me. Yeah. I like that you said that the more I know, the less I know, because I recently have been just doing my own thinking about self-awareness and what is it and how do you know if you have it? Because everybody wants to have it. Nobody wants to act like they don't have it. But a lot of times the people that are talking about it, I'm like, you don't seem very self-aware. And I came across a conversation I had with somebody maybe two years ago. And she said, the interesting thing about self-awareness is that 
the more self-aware you are, the more aware you are of how much you don't know about the world, about yourself, about others. So I think that's a really place to be of to say like, yeah, I, I know a lot, but also there's a lot of things that I haven't learned yet. But you're an expert to me because you know more than I do. <laughs> so last yeah. time you were here, we just did like an overview of the Enneagram and it was 2020. Was that when it was? I feel like it was, was it before the pandemic? Oh my gosh. I think it was 2019. So that means it was a, a lifetime ago. Yeah. Okay. So we were, we've been reborn. So we did a whole overview, but what I want to do to start this is for anybody who is unfamiliar with what the Enneagram is, yeah. I want to give like a little baseline information about what the Enneagram is, why people can become so obsessed with it, how it has turned into such a useful tool in the therapy rooms, but also just anybody. And they don't have to be a therapist to be able to get something out of this and kind of just where this whole thing came from. So can you give us... I say Cliff's notes, but make it as long as you want. Background of what is the Enneagram? Why do we like it? Well, man, this is probably the the topic of conversation that I most love to have. Somebody asked me the other day, do you ever get sick of talking about the Enneagram? And I was like, no, I, I think I just get sick of talking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love talking about this because A, it's been so transformational in my own life. And I say that in all just honesty and transparency and because it's been so helpful to use in the therapy office with clients and I've, I've just seen change happen using this tool and and so many insights and all the things so so the enneagram is basically this really dynamic personality and character typing system that suggests that there are nine core personality types in the world, one of which we gravitated to in early childhood. And I use the word character in there along with personality very intentionally because the Enneagram doesn't just identify your kind of surface personality traits, kind of the optics of our personality. It really goes so, so much deeper to kind of unearth our character, like the deeper structure of who we are and why we do the things that we do and what motivates us in thought and emotion and in behavior. So it gives us this really comprehensive picture of kind of who we are and what we like and, and how we act, but it goes so much deeper to help us understand why we are that way. And not only that, but it gives us really specific growth paths to move from kind of where we feel stuck in our personality and where we really want to be. So where kind of where we've been, where we are now and where we want to go. The Enneagram gives us some really clear, practical application as to how to affect change in our life. Well, that's, I think, really important, that last part, because the critique I hear most when it comes to having conversations with anybody about the Enneagram, if somebody feels kind of off put by that, it's usually because they say something like, I don't want to be put in a box. I don't want you to just label me as something. And I don't want some test to tell me what I am and, and all of that. And what you just said speaks to, I think the most helpful response that I've come to with that is, 
I totally hear that. I don't want to be put in a box either. And I don't want to be told from a thing that doesn't actually know me and speak to me what I can and cannot do. But what I have known the Enneagram to really explain is what you just said. It shows you kind of some of, of who you are and how you got there, where you're stuck. And a lot of the purpose of it is to get you out of whatever box you are locked in. So the yeah. point isn't to stick you in a box. It's to say like, hey, you might be in this box and there's some ways for you to get out of it. So well said. I think, I don't know who said it first. I know Ian Cron has said it before and he may have originated it, but there's this quote that says the Enneagram helps us know who we were before the world told us who we were supposed to become or be. Oh. And I really love that because as you just said so eloquently, the Enneagram really helps us understand the loud kind of edges of our personality, not to live more into those qualities, yeah. but to live beyond them. So yeah. in essence, it's showing us the box that we're in of personality, the story we've been living out of, as it were. And it's and it's really inviting us beyond that, beyond the box. Okay. I love that quote. I'm going to have to write that down because that reminds me of everything when it comes to therapy and the work we do. And I don't know if I said this last time when we talked, but I am so interested. I want to do, I've been saying this for five years probably, I want to do some study of like attachment styles in the Enneagram. Yes. Maybe there is one out there. I would love to not have to do the study and actually just read about it. But I, I say that because that's one of the reasons I really, really liked the Enneagram as opposed to these other just personality tests I, I learned about in school. We didn't learn about the Enneagram in school, which I feel like we should have. But anyway, I liked it because I was like, oh, this is just aligned with what we learn about attachment and attachment theory, where you literally have these experiences that kind of send you these messages. You learn how to get your needs met through that, that develops into your attachment style. And it helps you survive to a certain point, but then sometimes it gets you stuck. And that's what the Enneagram is also. It's just, a, to me, the Enneagram is a different, more personalized version of that. Yeah. I see nowadays as as attachment theory and all that has become popularized and people know about it. Then when two years ago, no, people would be like, huh, what is that? People are getting very attached to their style. So it's, well, I'm anxious. I'm avoidant. I'm this. I'm that. I'm just kind of how people are like, I'm a seven. I'm a six. I'm a four. And the point of any of that stuff, attachment and the Enneagram numbers, I'm not teaching somebody about attachment. So then they're like, well, I'm anxious and I'm always going to be anxious. It's like, oh, look, this is you that you're following this pattern. And if we trace it back to these things, we can unlearn these things and actually uncover who you really are versus who you trained yourself to be to get your needs met when there's no other way. Totally. Yes, I have done some study on attachment and the attachment styles in the Enneagram. So we'll have to, maybe we'll have another conversation on that and I can share my notes with you. I think you're so onto something. And, you know, it's the difference between theory and application, right? It's like, uh, it's the difference between knowledge and transformation because knowledge without application is really not transformational. It doesn't affect change. You know, there's a lot of people describe the Enneagram as a roadmap, 
And I think that really does, it checks out because it kind of helps us understand, like, it's like a trailhead. Like, where did we get on this trail of personality type four or personality type seven? And how are we conditioned in our adaptive child to learn how to survive, right? And then unpacking our story, but really using this roadmap to live beyond the limiting beliefs of that story. So going beyond theory really into application of this powerful tool that really exists to help us put into practices things that help us be our true authentic self. Oh, okay. I can't wait to have that conversation because I'm just thinking about things in my head. I'm applying this to my own life. But I'm thinking about like, oh my gosh, for me to move out of a very anxiously attached place, I had to stop doing things that I literally thought were who I, like, it was how I was surviving, but I thought it was who I was when it comes to being a seven. And for those of you who are like, what does that mean? It's one of the types. And for a lot of people, we're very loud and and we can be kind of center of attention, even if we don't want to be. But that's where I found a lot of security and I had to keep performing and there's performance in all of these numbers. But for me to actually allow myself to find a secure attachment, I had to stop kind of filling up space with being funny or being available all the time, being the friend that everybody wants to be around. I had to kind of like relax and not do so many fun things that would give an impression of me. And that's how I learned that I can be okay, like in a secure, like healthy relationship is, oh, I don't have to do all this stuff. Yeah, I don't have to do all this stuff. So that's a whole conversation for another day. So there's a little overview of the Enneagram, what it is, why it's useful, why I love it so much. I want to switch gears because we're also talking about something else today. And I also want to call you an expert in this too, but you probably don't want me to do that. <laughs> we're going to talk about self-care and a couple months ago, Tara Booker and I broached the subject in the series we were doing, talking about how pop culture kind of confuses some of these, some of them very clinical, but some of these things uh, mental health wise into something that they're not. And I want to hear from you. I do really find it very interesting to hear different humans, whether they're mental health professionals or not, like what is your idea of what self-care is and how did you come up with that idea? So I want to hear from you. What do you see self-care as? What's it supposed to be? What's its purpose? And why Why do we care about it? Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you see self-care as? What's it supposed to be? What's its purpose? And why... Why do we care about it? Well, you make such a good point that there's so many different styles of teaching and, and different kind of belief systems. And, you know, I think it's grabbing hold of what really works for you, you know, who resonates with you, because I think there's so many great approaches to self-care. I think there's also so many really limited ideas of self-care. A few words I just want to toss around before we really dig into the meat of it, but some words that may surprise you kind of bubble up for me when I think of self-care. Probably the first is remembrance, homecoming, self-compassion, integration. So I really believe that self-care is more about remembering the truest, connecting to and remembering and coming back to the truest version of ourselves than it is about indulgence. And I'll, I want to unpack that a little bit. And, and P.S., I'm all for indulgence. Yeah. We're not here to 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 dig on that. But there's there's this other great quote that says, the opposite of home isn't distance, but it's forgetfulness. And I believe that self-care is this really regular practice of nurturing and kind of cultivating the truest version of ourselves and that's really broad and I'm going to go I'm going to I'm going to go in with it 
in a broad sense, it's coming home to the truth of who we are, which is where the Enneagram really comes into this practice of self-care. And I believe that it's really anything that we practice on a regular basis that reminds us of, that aligns with, and that really promotes this truest version of ourselves, this homecoming, if you will, or this integration. And I want to talk about kind of those words for just a minute, but integration is a big word in, in Enneagram speak and in therapy speak. And to me, it really is becoming a whole dynamic self, the self that we were created to be. And, you know, I think self-care really becomes creating the space within ourselves and within our experience to show up in our lives and our relationships with real meaning and purpose and vitality and wakefulness. If we go just one step deeper, you know, I kind of want to rebrand self-care as self-compassion essentially, because I really think that it's also this process of befriending ourselves and treating ourselves with kindness like we would a dear friend or loved one. So I believe that when we create and commit to self-care in our lives, it's really just this beautiful process of becoming really close friends with ourselves. And in that way, understanding ourselves and understanding our needs and how to meet those needs. I think culture has created this monster of self-care that's a lot about kind of escapism and again, indulgence and pampering, and I'm all for those things. But I think the difference for me is that self-care is, it's got to be restorative, right? It's got to be connective. And I think that's kind of the litmus test of is this true self-care for me right now or not? If I'm like getting all these facials and massages and hanging out, having wine nights with the girls and spa days and all the, I mean, like all very fun, yet very expensive. And also, you know, maybe that's self-care for you in the, in the season that you're in, or maybe it's just a distraction. Yeah. And so it also becomes this question of like, am I running towards myself or am I running away from myself? Oh my God. Okay. I just threw so much at no, you. And I'm I, I have, I even wrote some notes down because I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this, this. So I, first of all, I'm obsessed with the idea of rebranding self-care, self-compassion. And I think that we can see this if we study language. Language continues to change because as we continue to use language, the meanings kind of get convoluted. And self-care is something that I think the meanings have gotten a little twisted. And it does make so much sense. Like, I love that quote. Will you say the quote about what you say, home and the opposite of whatever that was? Will you say that again? Yeah, it's Ellie Weasel, Weasel. I can't remember how you say it, but she says the opposite of home isn't distance, but forgetfulness. Okay. I'm obsessed with that. That's so good. It's because, so good. Oh, that is why I feel like self-care is so, it's one of the reasons why it's so hard, I think, for some people to do is because the things that are promoted as self-care really might not be or have anything to do with somebody actually getting closer to themselves. Yeah. When you said that at first, I, I, the picture I had is I've recently been doing like a little art project, like elementary school, but I've been like looking forward to it so much and I can get lost in, into doing it for hours and it's nothing special. 
And to some people, it might be like, oh, that looks like so much work and like, oh, I would hate doing that. But I'm like, I feel so relaxed. I feel like kind of like a kid. I feel like I don't have to worry about anything. I am not judging the work I'm doing. I'm like, oh, this is funny. This is cute. This is whatever. And it, it, feel, it feels very restorative. It feels like I'm integrating like different parts of myself together as I do that. Like the part that is uh, I'm doing like a little scrapbook thing. And something I did when I was really like in like middle school and stuff, I used to do like these collages and stuff. And I was like, I want to do something like that again. So I feel like I'm integrating these old parts of myself. I'm integrating my relationships and um, these memories that I'm putting together. And that sounds so exciting to me. I'm all for getting massages. Sometimes that actually feels like work to me. Right. You know, like actually being there and getting the massage and in the middle, it's great. But like having to schedule it and going to the appointment and waiting. And then like, I don't like to go to places by myself all the time. And then, so I think that is like, some people might not identify with that stuff. It's because that's not what self-care is. And the other thing I thought of, I used to explain, and I still think I can do this, integrating kind of what you're teaching me, but I used to explain that there's a difference between self-care and self-maintenance, where a lot of people think, if there are universal self-care activities, but they all come down to like pampering kind of things. Yeah. Or even like why night with girls. Sometimes that is for somebody who is less social, that's work for them. But there are things that we have to do to maintain our health in our bodies, health in our minds, health in our friendships, health in any relationships. And those things, some of them that come to mind, like getting my nails done or... Yeah going to get my hair cut or going to like a, I don't have one of these currently, but if I had like a monthly get together with my group of friends, like if we had some book club or something like that, those can be really good. And also like things like drinking a green juice. Those are not bad. None of those things are bad. And some people love those things and some people don't mind them, but that doesn't like fill them up. It's kind of like a check mark. And so there are things we have to do to maintain how we want to show up appearance-wise. I have to get my nails done so I don't rip them all off. I do like what they look like, but that's one of the reasons I do that. And like, if I'm going to drink a green juice, I would never choose that because I just love drinking green juice. But I might be like, oh, I haven't had a vegetable in three days. I need to do that. And And that is a way of caring for yourself, I think. But it bleeds into this maintenance phase (laughs) for me more. Self-care is something kind of like what you're talking about, where it's actually bringing me back to the core of who I am, not how I want to appear to others. If I didn't have to worry about nutrients, I want to never be drinking a green juice. (laughs) So like that to me is not self-care. Does that make sense what I'm saying? No, I love that that delineation between maintenance and self-care and bring in the language piece that you mentioned earlier is so important as well. I think in different cultures, this means drastically different things, right? And that's why I think we have to really just understand kind of the high level, like hit the high notes and then personalize it and make it true for us. But I do think what you and I are talking about that's really important is the difference between kind of escapism, indulging, and true restorative self-care, right? And 
this idea of the maintenance is almost like sometimes that kind of falls maybe in the middle. I don't know, but it's that kind of way of taking care of ourselves and our health and, you know, doing the things day to day that just feel good. And, and I, and I think that self-care, maybe the difference that I would kind of draw out is that self-care might be on a deeper, more kind of internal self-relational space. And then kind of the maintenance kind of is like a byproduct of that, right? Yeah. And it's not bad. It's just a little different. Totally. You know, I think something too, that a good question, and I think this is where the Enneagram really ties into true self-care because we have to really know and understand ourselves in order to love ourselves well and know what we need. And I think knowing what we need is really four-pronged. It's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, and it's relational. And so really when we kind of create our version of what is restorative and really helpful self-care, for me, it might look different in different seasons based on what I'm needing physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. So I think I think that we can really flesh it out and create um, simple yet really powerful self-care practices that hit all four. Yeah. Okay. So can you walk us through how getting to know your Enneagram type and how learning about that can influence you being able to identify, like you kind of would get to know yourself a little bit more through that. So then you can actually identify that what you need part, like how that can help and how that looks different for different people. Absolutely. And this is also what we're going to be digging into quite a bit in this little workshop that we're about to start talking about. So if this sounds kind of out of reach or not as clear, we're going to dig into this in just a little bit um, in our conversation. But just for starters, let's just take you and I, for example. Like you are an Enneagram type seven. You've kind of fleshed out a little bit of what that means. Hyper-relational, extroverted, more kind of assertive in nature, innovative. You bring the juice and the energy, very magnetic personality, highly creative, fast thinking. You kind of operate from this more cognitive or headspace. Your need in life is kind of the motivating need is to avoid pain most of the time, to get out ahead of it. For me as a type four, I am more reserved in nature, more introverted in nature. I tend to be a little bit more withdrawn energetically. And I really love kind of going deep. I'm I'm not turned off by scary emotions like melancholy or even sometimes depression, like I can sit in that and and kind of like move around in that a little bit. Whereas the type seven, well, I'll say in like more of an unintegrated type seven is they're wanting to get way out ahead of that pain um, so as to avoid it. And so like for me, this driving kind of motivating need in my life is to find significance and self-expression and to be seen as special and unique. And so I want to unpack both of those types because there's different energies going on there. There's different needs. There's different motivators happening. 
For you, that's to be kind of up and out. And for me, it's kind of like to be in and down. So part of my self-care is going to look a little bit different for me to to kind of grow beyond some of those limiting parts of my personality that can get in the way. Self-care, integrate the work of integrating and coming home to the truth of who I am can look much different than what that looks like for you as a type seven. So here's maybe an example. Maybe for you, some self-care might look like what you just explained doing something on your own, right? Coming into yourself and going within and and spending time doing something creative, right? For me, like something that's really a, a rounding out, if you will, an integrating practice for me is to kind of like be done with the navel gazing already and kind of get outside of myself and maybe connect with a friend for a walk, right? Yeah. That becomes really nourishing to me. And of course, I love the alone time and the solitude and I can meditate myself into a tizzy. But for me, self-care might look much different as a type four than self-care might look for you as a type seven. In this avenue, because you got me thinking, oftentimes self-care, we just have these like blanket self-care things that are like, that's for everybody. And, And one of them that comes to my mind is spending time with friends. Yeah. Where you're saying as a four, something that might be self-care might be to go on a walk with a friend, not go to a huge party, but go on a walk with a friend. Would it be true that oftentimes that would be the opposite of what I would need because I spend so much of my time being in that space and I can be so exhausted by even though a part of me enjoys it? Absolutely. But enjoying something doesn't then equal self-care. Exactly. You know, I think what self-care is also trying to do is get us out of our autopilot, right? So autopilot for you, like this habitual, just kind of, kind of autopilot is being around people. That is so much a part of your personality type structure. And it's a beautiful thing about you and it's not all there is to you. So part of integrate, the integrating part of self-care for you as a seven might be, you know, exploring more solitude and downtime and connecting to the beauty of all different kinds of emotions and doing that in creative ways that are, again, restorative for you. We're not wanting to like put you in a torture chamber. (laughs) Right. But I'm thinking now I have to admit something because I love puzzles. Like I love them. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing. Right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I love puzzles. Like, I love them. I haven't done one since Christmas. I did a couple during Christmas, but I'm so obsessed with them. And at times, I would have to argue with myself if there's, like, something to do with friends. But I'm, like, working on a puzzle. I'm like, oh, I just want to stay home and do my puzzle. And I think a little subconsciously, I have been demonizing that part of me and Mm. kind of, like, self-deprecating that part. Like, LOL, like, I'm a grandma. I just... Or saying, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I want to stay home and do this versus, like, go hang out with these people or call my friend or whatever? But I love I love it. Like, I love it. And so what I, I'm saying all this, because something is, has been different, like, that is different than what I'm used to doing. The autopilot thing shot this up in my brain. Like, my autopilot is you want to feel better, go hang out with a friend. Or you should hang out with people. Being social is better isolating is not good like you are a people person that's my autopilot but autopilot is not always the correct way to fly yes yes and so even hearing you say that to me is like oh i need to give myself permission to listen to myself there's so many things that i want to just praise you for in that because honestly cat like for you as a seven integration for a seven often looks like the 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 higher a- aspects of type fives personality yeah. and type fives are s- really comfortable with alone time with downtime so 
that's such a natural progression for type sevens as they really do the work of the Enneagram and and do the work of self-care is they allow themselves that space to practice solitude and to stay home and to miss out, quote unquote. You know, it, it goes from like that FOMO to the JOMO, right? It's like there's all of a sudden this joy in missing out. And I will say this, it, it took me, I think, learning about the Enneagram to really identify this because I think I try to push it away so much. Being a therapist and being a seven is very challenging for me personally. I think that's maybe where some of my savior complex came in when I started. All I wanted to do is make people feel better. Like, yeah. I didn't want to sit with people and their feelings. I wanted to, hey, what are you feeling? Okay, you don't want to feel that? Okay, we're going to get out of it. That's how we're going to do it. And then as I learned, oh, that's not really a very helpful way to be a therapist. I started, you know, sitting with emotion and being really present with people and getting in, in the middle of all of the sorrow, the fear, the sadness versus running away from it. And yeah. while that has, I think, been very helpful for clients and has been very helpful to develop myself as a therapist, it has made work, although I love it and I find a lot of joy in it, it is hard in a different way than like, I mean, everybody's job can be hard in its own way. I went to a um, site visit at a treatment center maybe like five years ago. I was talking to these different therapists at lunch and kind of talking about kind of our schedules and how we do things. And one of these therapists said, oh, I see eight clients a day. And I literally <laughs> dropped my fork and it was like, what? Like every day, five days a week, four, eight clients a day. And I felt at first this rush of like shame, mm. I think, because I was like, my sweet spot is like four or five. And while they might make more money than me, I'm like, I'm a good therapist when I'm seeing four or five clients a day. I can go to six. But anything over that, I know I'm not giving good care to e even the first client or the last one, because the first one, I'm like, this is going to be such a long day. And the last one, I'm like, this is, had been, has been such a long day. But then when I get home, I am just spent, like yeah. completely spent. I don't find joy in that. It makes me question my job. That's when I have those moments where I'm like, should I be just working at like the post office or something? And it's not because I'm a bad therapist. It's not because therapists should all be seeing eight clients a day. What I learned is, oh, this feels different to you than other people. So you're pushing through different things that other people might just like want to sit in all day long. And that is not a bad thing. That does not make you being a therapist the wrong job. But it does, I think, kind of what I'm hearing now, it um, influences what you're needing after a work day. Yeah. Where some people might love to go to happy hours and meet up with their friends after the, a work day. I sometimes make plans and most of the time want to cancel those plans if they're during the week. Yeah. Because all I want to do is go home and do my puzzle. Right. Or watch a TV show and, and zone out, or I hate talking on the phone with people. If anybody listening who's my friend, you know, if you're calling me, you better text me and tell me why you're calling me because I'm not just going to answer the phone to chat. It's That feels after work so exhausting. And I used to think it was just about my line of work. But when I, when I heard that other therapist be like, well, no, I can see eight clients a day and I love it and I can do it every day. I'm like, oh, it's not my line of work. It also has to do with who I am as a human being versus you are a different person than me. Yeah. 
And it also might have to do with different stages in life too. Yeah, that is true. So I used to see so many clients and I won't see, I won't see more than four a day. Yeah. You know, it's like Memax and I can sit all day in those dark emotions and be happy as a clam, but I can't serve a client in the way that I want to if I'm doing it all day, every day. Yeah. So I, yeah, I love this conversation because what I'm getting a lot about out of it, and I'm sure I'm going to have all these things pop up in my head as I go throughout my day. But I'm getting out of this is, oh my gosh, let what you've learned about who you have kind of trained yourself to be and how you've unlearned some of those things that aren't necessary anymore. Let that actually impact what choices you make. Because I think it's exactly what you said earlier about application and knowledge, right? I've learned all these things. I feel like (laughs) I feel like one of my clients right now. I've learned all these things, but like I have to use that as I make decisions throughout my life. Else, what's the point? Right. And so rather than, oh, this is good, because I wonder how you do this as a, my mind is all over the place right now, but I wonder <laughs> how you do this as a therapist. Because a lot of clients will say, I might recommend, hey, you, it sounds like you need to do some self-care. Like, we need to slow down a second. Like, yeah. that's a homework assignment. They'll say, okay, what should I do? How do you help a client figure that out for themselves versus you just listing one of those general activities. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some baseline practices that we can all benefit from in self-care. And two of those right off the bat that every single type, I mean, it's it's part of my self-care practice every day, depending on kind of how much time I have, but moving your body and writing, journaling. Yeah. It's getting into your body, you know, because you know this, doing so much work as a therapist and and just being so brilliant and research and 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 just such a learner that, you know, trauma lives in the body, our emotions live in the body. And part of our primal right as human beings is to move. Yeah. Well, I like that. It's not about vanity. It's not about staying at a certain weight. It's about a primal right that we have as human beings to move our body because we're created the way we are. And we have to process all that we go through from day to day. That is such a good, I want to pause on that for for a second, way to say that we have a primal right to move our body. Like you are created to do this and you are allowed to do it versus you should do this. Right. That feels very kind. It does. It also feels very inviting. Yeah. I mean, and that can look different ways. At the self-care workshop, we talk a lot about mindful movement. Kula is going to talk and teach us all about trauma in the body and how it's stored and what mindful movement is. Something that I also think can be very unhelpful is mindless exercise, right? So super high impact I'm all for high impact. I mean, I I don't really do it a lot, but like if you want to go run 10 miles and that is restorative for you, do that. But for me, it's all about movement that connects us back into the present moment that connects us into our bodies. There has to be some intentionality in the movement that you're doing, whatever it is. Right. I like that you said that because I don't want to send the message that movement isn't self-care because it's something that's easily thrown out. But what I think I'm learning is 
the movement that is self-care for you might be impacted differently based on who you are. Where for me, self-care, it might be really good for me to do some yoga because I'm the kind of gal who's going to a group fitness class and hanging out with all my friends. But what I've been learning more recently about myself is when I go to those fitness classes, I want to go sit in the corner so I don't have to make eye contact with people. (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm needing is time to move my body with myself. It would only be fair to go to a place that that is the goal, is to connect with you versus there's plenty of places that one of the goals of the of the studios is to create community. And I don't always want that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay, So you said one of the things is movement. What was the other one? The general self-care? Oh, writing or journaling. The other thing I was going to say when you said that, kind of in the same vein, would it be true that like some people, their self-care is going to have this journal where they write every day about experiences and blah, 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 blah. But some people's form of journaling might be their Instagram grid and writing little blurbs about things. Or I have a, a Google Doc on my computer, but journaling and writing, get, it doesn't have to be one way of doing it. And that's the self-care way. Whatever's going to get your butt in the chair. Okay. I mean, you could be drawing. Allie talks a lot about, you know, people who just really are resistant to writing for self-care. You know, she's a, an author and a writing coach. And she'll say, you know, sometimes she'll just encourage people to start off and just doodle on a page. And I love this like whole idea of kind of stream of consciousness, just yeah. sitting down and dumping, you know, it's like the morning pages. And out of that great book, The Artist's Way, you know, it's like, I think there's so much power in putting what is internal on an external surface. There's a transfer that happens. And I don't know all the brain science behind that, but I know it's powerful and I know it works. Yeah. So in the workshop that you guys are doing, all of this is going to be talked about in detail for each type of person, correct? Yeah. Create. Correct. (laughs) Okay. Two ideas merging. It's a mashup. Basically, this workshop that we're talking about is called the Self-Care Workshop. It's happening in Nashville, Tennessee on February 25th, which is just a month away. And essentially, we are meeting from nine in the morning till about 530 in the in the evening. And during this day, myself and two of my dearest friends, Allie Fallon, who's an author and a writing coach, and then Kula Callahan, who is uh, just remarkable yoga teacher. Allie's been on the podcast before and she's awesome. People ate up everything she said. And I, I had a conversation this week with the client who's yeah. who just got her book. She's incredible. Coolest class, I just have to say this. I don't think she knows who I am because I only think I went to her class like twice. I didn't know who she was. I just went to the classes that worked with my schedule. And yeah. I remember taking her class and being like, I feel so relaxed. Like, I yeah. don't feel like I'm in this space where I have to act like I'm a yogi because I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. She oh. was like eating a granola bar in the beginning of class. And I was like, this is nice. Like, it's just, it was just so, I remember <laughs> like, like, she seems like a regular person that I can actually learn from in the sense that like, I can connect with you. There's a lot of people that I get and it's my own stuff, but like intimidated because I don't know what I'm doing. Me too. Very welcoming is what I mean by all of that. Oh, yeah. She's a riot. She's a genius. And she's my favorite yoga 
teacher of all time. I mean, she's just so good. So we're going to start out the, in the morning about really digging into Enneagram, what the Enneagram is, a lot of what we've talked about today, but we're going to really unpack it by type and talk about self-care for every single type, right? Then we're going to do some yoga with Kula. She's going to kind of take us through a yoga flow and really talk to us about movement. We're going to have a nice, delicious lunch. And then we're going to come back and we're going to do the writing segment of the day. And then we're going to do some breakout sessions. So we're going to get into groups and we're going to support everyone that's there in creating their own self-care plan for the rest of the year, essentially. And then we wrap up the whole day with a dance party. I have a DJ. So for the type sevens out there, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and there, there's a little happy hour at the very end. So it's going to be a lot of self-care, a lot of self-discovery, a lot of learning and connecting with other women. And there's going to be a lot of fun had too. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with this. It's just the one day. It's in Nashville, February 25th. And it's a limited number of people, right? So, limited. and there are some some spots available, but I would act fast. This is the other bonus: is that Lululemon is kind of underwriting the event. They are sponsoring it, so they made a donation that allows us to offer this workshop at a much lower price than we would normally have to okay. charge. And so, there's payment plans available. Like, there's no obstacle. There's no reason that you can't come. If you want to go, you should be able to, you want people to be able to go. Absolutely. If you want to go, you can make it happen. The reason I said there's limited spots, if you're hearing this and you want to learn more and you want to be a part of this event, like head to the website that's in the show notes. You can just click on it. You can sign yeah. up, do that now, because the more you think about it and the more you wait, the more spots are going to be full. Yeah. So, okay. I love this. Thank you for, so much for doing this. I can't wait to have fun conversations. I was telling Katie before we started, I want to keep this to, I say this, this is behind the scenes to everybody listening. I say this to everybody. I'm like, I want to keep this to like 35 minutes. We can do 45 if we need to. And then I always am talking to people for like an hour and a half. And I'm like, okay, like, what's wrong with me? Well, it just shows, it just shows that the energy and the passion is there. And it's hard not to talk to you for more, for less than an hour, because you're just so delightful and have such amazing energy and you just have so many good things to say. When I do solo episodes, I can keep them really short. But when I'm having these conversations, I'm doing so much thinking in my head and I'm learning about myself. So I'm like, wait, I need to approach this now. So forgive it. So thank you for doing this. Again, everybody who's listening, you want to be a part of it. Everything's in the, in the show notes. You can follow Katie on Instagram. I'll have that linked. I'll also link Ali and Kula's Instagram oh, yes. as well. Perfect. You can know who's going to be there and kind of put a face to their names. And yeah, if you have questions about anything, if you have questions for Katie, you can email me, Catherine at unitherapypodcast.com. I will try to answer those. If I can't, then I'll send them to Katie and she can answer them and I'll find a way to get you the answer you're looking for. You can follow the podcast at unitherapypodcast. You can follow me at cat.defada on Instagram. And do you want to shout out your website and Instagram just in case people can't go look on their phone. Instagram is at katiegustafson.co and that's K-A-T-I-E-G-U-S-T-A-F-S-O-N.co. And then my website is the same. It's katiegustafson.co. 
Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. So welcome. Thank you. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.